Hi, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. Thanks for joining today's episode of the Fireside Chat. Today we'll be speaking with Michelle Lissack, incredible designer from Northern California in and around the Santa Cruz area. And we're going to be talking to her about her experience, her story, how she started her own firm, but more importantly, what she's seeing today in trends and what people are asking for as it relates to design of their homes. How travel budgets are now being slashed and that money and investment is going into the home and key elements that she is using to create indoor outdoor living spaces that come together in harmony and most importantly what she's seeing and things that are here to stay like the idea of the kids lounge amazing things to talk about and it's going to be a great episode i've been looking at your your work your your website your instagram but before jumping into anything sort of businessy related i'd love to hear uh from you based on where you are in in northern california um first of all uh, is everyone around you okay as it relates to covid as it relates to the fires that i've been watching i just I, I would feel like a complete ass to talk, start talking about business without talking about more human things. So I, I'd love to sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we were evacuated for the fires. Um, we've been back in our house a few weeks now. So that's nice that our house is still there. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case for everybody in our area. Um, but yeah, it feels like things are getting a little bit back to normal. If, if there is a normal for this year, yeah. um, and my son is actually back in school. His school is like one of the few in the area that went back in person. Um, I think I saw you have, you have an 11 year old, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. in your bio. Yeah. Yes, he's in fifth grade. He just started school last week. So it feels like things are sort of getting, you know, back to somewhat of a norm. But, you know, COVID is still here. I think it's, you know, yeah. all over the world still. But, um, you know, we're all just getting through it. <laughs> It's exactly right. I think, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, my wife, Sarah has said often, you know, during COVID, you know, her line is you do you and there's no yeah. right. There's no wrong. There's no nuance. It's just, everyone is going to, you know, act and behave and just react in, in their own personal way. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I would say small world, but not so small world. I, I know you're in, you're in Scotts Valley, just uh, <laughs> sort of in the arms, arms length of Santa Cruz. Yes, um, yeah. And when I was doing research before, before today's podcast, um, it's very close to where I actually used to live for oh, about really? a and a half. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with uh, the, revi- of the revitalization projects of Fort Ord down in Marina and yeah. Monterey? Mm-hmm. You ever heard of a project named East Garrison from years back? That name ring a bell? It sounds familiar. So in 2007 and 8, uh, the real estate firm that I was part of was charged with the, um, the activation of the eventual town center of the East Garrison project. Um, and I lived in Carmel and spent a year and a half working basically between Santa Cruz and Big Sur on the development of retail and restaurant concepts. And I, I'm, it is without a doubt, my favorite, my favorite place on, on the planet. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice area for sure. We're it's lucky. amazing. The, lucky the drive to live here. every Saturday morning, I would drive to the big Sur bakery and I just, it was the most incredible experience ever. I just, I still today miss those, those types of things. That's my favorite. I love that bakery. We always go there for like mother's day or, little holidays. It's so nice to drive down there. 
It really, really is. It's a very, yeah. uh, it's a very special part of, uh, of the world where, yeah. uh, where you live. You're yeah. incredibly lucky. Um, and where are you now? I'm in Montreal. Okay. Canada. Yeah. Have yeah. you been to Montreal ever? I have not. Okay. I need um, to go there. It's, uh, you know, there are a few cities I find in, in the world that, you know, almost everybody who visits them has a great experience. And that's not the case. You know, people will go to, I don't know, uh, go to New York and say, you know, it's cool, but too busy, too loud, not for me. And, you know, we, we have those types of experiences uh, as individuals. But Montreal, and there are a few places like it, it just seems like everybody who comes seems to love it. It has that very European architecture, and food is great, and it's 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 fun. I'll have to go once we get to travel. <laughs> yeah, it'll be on my list. Good. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about about your story. I know that before you started your own firm in 2014, I believe you were mm-hmm. uh, part of another firm before. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your your story. What what drove you, or how you became passionate about design? I, I would just love to hear a little bit about you. So I feel like just growing up as a kid, I was always into art and you know creating things and you know, making things with my hands. And I feel like, and my dad was a contractor ever since I was born. He's been in in that business. Um, So I was always around construction and our house was always in some state of remodel. Um, And so I was always around that and always loved art. And then I feel like after college, you know, I wasn't an interior design major in college. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I just, I don't, I guess I didn't really think that like that was a job or I didn't know anybody in that field. And so it just wasn't in my you know, realm. Um, but then after college, I um, graduated with a marketing degree and like the week of graduation, I realized, I don't think I want to be in business and, you know, sit in a cubicle and, and work for a big corporation. And so I decided to go into design and I started at a, a small boutique firm in Portola Valley called Stapron's Design and I worked there a few years and it was a great experience um, and I I left when after my son was born because it was you know it's fast-paced it was hard to keep up yeah. with a baby and you know working full-time and I just realized I just need to take a break <laughs> so I took a few years off and went back to work at another um, boutique design firm on the peninsula in Menlo Park okay called Sullivan Design Studio and worked there for a few years and also learned a lot and had great experience working there um, and then decided to go out on my own. Um, we had a lot of family friends that happened to be remodeling and building around that 2013, 2014, 2015 time and they were all calling me and asking for help and I was you know so busy on the side you know helping everybody on my weekends that I decided, you know, I think I should just do this full time and go out on my own. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of when I made that leap and decided to break out on my own. <laughs> quite a, quite a shift when you go from being part of a, a firm with, you know, resources and that type of thing to being responsible for, for everything. Yes. What, was, what was the shift like for you? I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I, you know, beyond just the role as a designer, you're also now managing a business, managing people. Mm-hmm. What was, was it a natural progression or was it the, the quote unquote, the business operation side? Was that um, like 
I mean, for me, when we started, I mean, that was, you know, managing people and growth and all that all at once, you know, you can be an incredible designer. You can be great with clients, but a very myself as like an example, I'm not a great manager of people. It's just not where one of the, how have you, how have you found that experience to, to be? Yeah, I feel like it was sort of an easy transition because when I started out, it was just myself. So at that point, I wasn't managing anybody. And I feel like um, at the firms that I worked at, I wore a lot of hats. And so I did get to kind of see, you know, all different aspects of the design business. Um, So I felt like I had a pretty good knowledge of sort of what it entailed, but it's always very different when you're doing it on your own versus watching someone else do it. Um, But you're right. Then when when I got a little little bigger and started hiring people that's when I feel like it does get very tricky and it is I think that's maybe one of the hardest things about owning a business is managing people and and the hiring and firing especially for a small business you get so close to the people I mean it's kind of like a little family and it's very hard when you know when the HR issues come up and you have to let people go that's it's kind of heartbreaking it is very yeah. difficult and also when you're yeah. a small company of you know four or five six ten you know the, the amount of time that it takes to find somebody and retrain them and reteach i mean there's that that is just a, it, it's months sometimes it's years of, of mm-hmm. just nuance and personal relationships and you know all those all those aspects yeah wow. it's very time consuming <laughs> it is but yeah you need to do it it's uh yep. it's an important part um what we have been seeing is this and whether it is a part of just natural trend of the economy and where people are at, whether it is uh, COVID has played a role in it. Everyone is basically saying that the design home renovation transformation re-envisioning is on a hockey stick like curve. And I don't know if you're a fan of, of San Jose Sharks, but you know what a hockey stick looks like. Yes. <laughs> um, I have to bring in a little Canadian uh, when, I, when I can. Um, are you experiencing that yourself? Um, uh, are, you seeing, are there other factors that, I've, that you see as, as why this is happening now? I'd love to get your perspective on the sort of state of the nation. Yeah, I feel like it is a very strange time, especially for our industry. You know, you see a lot of businesses going out of business, but I feel like for design, I feel like this might be the busiest that our industry has been in a very long time. Um, You know, at the beginning of COVID, I was very nervous, like, oh gosh, this could be the end of us, you know, because everything kind of came to a halt there when, you know, when, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, people didn't really know what was going to happen or, you know how the virus was really going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we got worried there for a little, for a little bit, but then it's like all of a sudden, <laughs> like you said, the hockey stick, um, you know, the emails and the phone calls came in, even clients that we had, you know, finished their houses a few years ago were coming back and, and wanting to redo things or, you know, do more work. And I think, you know, after people have been in their homes for so long, which is not the norm for any of us, you know, nobody was cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner in their house. And, you know, nobody was working from home all day and having their kids doing school from home and basically doing everything from home. I think, you know, everybody kind of took a step back and realized if I have to be in my house 24 hours a day, it needs to be perfect. Yeah. 
or at least be the way they want it to be. So I feel like, and also I, I feel like maybe, you know, people's travel budgets, you know, a lot of our clients would be gone during the summer. Yep. And I think, you know, all the, the lack of travel, I think all sort of that budget went into the house. So. I, I completely agree. I think that we're seeing that really uh, sort of everywhere at this point yeah. is people are, you're right. They're spending more time. Um, and it's a fairly safe, I mean, if people are going to stay, it's a fairly safe place to put their, their, let's call it disposable or, or, or social income they might use in, like you said, restaurants or travel or a sweet 16 or a, an engagement party. And now they're able to put that into, into their homes and that, that, you know, I don't think the I, the notion of the staycation is new, but I think that it has um, it, it's had a lot of uh, a lot of momentum added to it as a result of uh, of this. Yeah, it's taken on a new meaning. Very much so. Yeah. One of the things I've often thought of in terms of the relationship between and differently, I think, from an architect who has, I think, a lot more. Um, rules and restrictions in terms of what they can do there's more of a code there is there's engineering there's weight there's 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 easements there's a designer can play outside of the crayola box a lot which makes it a much more personal and intimate relationship with the with the client um, i would love to hear what do you look for in a client I know often it goes the other way around. You're typically asking the client, what are you looking for in a designer? But I think this is not a, this is not a, a one-way relationship. For this to be successful, it has to be reciprocal and there's got to be chemistry. What do you look for in a, in a client? Yeah, and I, f I feel like this has been um, a learning curve. You know, I feel like at the beginning, you're just excited to get new projects. And, you know, within the last couple of years, I feel like I've started to get much more particular about the projects that we take on. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like it's, I always remind myself to trust my gut. And I always, you know, before we start a project, we always have a face-to-face -face meeting with a potential client at the site or at mm -hmm. the home or, you know, wherever the project happens to be. Um, and even with, <laughs> with coronavirus, I feel like that's been tricky sometimes, but I feel like having that um, in-person meeting is very important because that's, you know, how you're really going to tell if, if this relationship is going to work, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different personalities and not everybody can, you know, get along and have a good working relationship. But I feel like, you know, some important things that we look for, like you said, is, is that connection. I feel like we have to be able to have like a good um, connection, have a good working relationship and, and mutual respect, I feel like is also really important. Um, and, uh, you know, the type of project is also a factor, um, you know, budget, timing, all of those things kind of play into it. And also if it's something that we feel like sort of meshes with our design aesthetic, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you know, we design for the client, we're not, you know, designing the house for ourselves, but something that we, you know, could be excited about. And it's such a subjective design is so subjective, right? I, I can imagine that in certain cases, it can be very difficult when a client has a, you know, for some reason wants a, a pink wall. And I'm just using a <laughs> hypothetical example, which is so far removed from your and your team's potential design aesthetic. I can imagine when that can become difficult in certain, in certain ways is how do you marry 
staying true to your vision and your design while still bringing in elements that the, the client wants or needs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Something dawned on me. I, I was up, uh, I was up late last night thinking about, uh, about our talk today and I, I'm in the midst right now of starting for the first time to plan a design renovation on, on my home. And I started thinking about the fact that, you know, let's call it 10, maximum 15 years ago. If I was looking at ideas for windows or uh, a kitchen layout or decking or an outdoor shower or whatever it was that I was looking at last night, I would have to go out to the library or to the design district or to buy $100 worth of magazines and flip through, mm -hmm. hopefully finding something. But the role of the designer then was far more in terms of talking about the inspiration and then bringing it to the client. And last night, there I am, and I'm looking at House and Pinterest. And even today, progressive retailers like Restoration Hardware and William, they have fused that inspiration design into their marketing and product. Do you find, it's a long-winded question, but do you find that consumer access to inspiration, design, projects, precedence has helped, hurt both? I'd love your thoughts because it, it really can encroach, but it can also really enhance. So I'd love mm -hmm. to hear what you think about how technology is affecting your business pro positively and or negatively. Yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I remember when I first started out in design, it was around 2007. So I mean, obviously, the internet was around then. But, um, you know, a lot of the, the vendors and the companies were not online like they are now. You know, we had in that design library in that first um, studio that I worked at, you know, we had these huge catalogs. And that's how you had to go through all of the product. Um, and now you just go online and you see it all. So it, it was a lot different. And I, I mean, I kind of a little bit miss the, the physical catalog and going through the magazines and everything. I, yeah. I still do, um, you know, go to magazines because I, I feel like it's, it's still nice to have that, you know, physical paper <laughs> in your hand. Um, but yeah, clients are very savvy. They, they usually have, you know, been researching their project before even contacting us. So, you know, they've already have their Pinterest boards or their, their house idea books and all of that. And mm -hmm. I feel like overall, I think it's helpful. Um, and I think it's helpful, especially because people use particular language and they'll say, oh, you know, we're building this really modern house or we're building this really um, traditional house. But then I say, okay, great. You know, let me, let me see your Pinterest boards. Let me see your, your house idea books. And and then I see it and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't really classify that as modern or I wouldn't necessarily say that's traditional. So it's nice to have a, a visual for what they're thinking that, you know, that um, style is because yeah. usually it's not what I'm thinking. You know, yeah. everyone has sort of a different, um, you know, design language. So that I feel like is helpful. And it's and even if we don't necessarily use their their um, inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, it's just nice to kind of see the through line and see like what they're really attracted to because that gives us kind of a good base to start from for their project. It's so interesting you say that. Last week I was doing a podcast with a very prominent architect um, up in, uh, in, in, in 
more southern, frankly, in Southern California, um, in, in Malibu. And I asked him the question about, you know, on his website, he had these kind of two categories. There was classic and modern. And I said, you know, with these, like, to your point, these incredibly subjective terms, what classifies, you know, modern, classic, like, what are the elements or the rules that would make it qualify? And I try to, because my background is in food, I try to compare it to, you know, historically, there was French cuisine and Italian cuisine and uh, Argentinian cuisine. And today we're seeing the most incredible fusion of you can go to a restaurant and it's like Costa Rican Polish and you know you're, you're seeing all yeah. these types of things right yeah is the same holding or coming true in in design and architecture where the idea of definition is quite loose today and ultimately people are looking to create more of that fusion what are you what are you seeing in, in that regard yeah I mean I feel like a lot of the times when we start a project, the architecture can sort of drive the style of the home. But then, you know, even when you get into a remodel, there's some elements that the client is trying to keep and then, you know, new things that they want to introduce. And it is kind of a fusion. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I could kind of think of it like the, um, like the old lofts in like Paris, they have this super, you know, traditional architecture. And then, you know, you kind of infuse it with this interesting modern furniture. So it's like a juxtaposition of the two. And I feel like, I think we do see a lot of that with our projects and, and clients. Like it's very rare that we have a project that it's all the same style throughout, you know, there's always little elements that are brought in that, you know, are kind of a little off, but it still works in a funny way. Yep. Um, so I think it's nice to kind of have, like you said, kind of that fusion of different, different styles. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more interesting, frankly, and I think it yeah. allows people to bring in certain pieces or certain elements that are more without having to, quote unquote, stay in the lines uh, as much. So I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on your relationship to the outdoors as it relates to planning and your projects. Um, what you have seen um, or what you saw in historically your involvement in outdoors. Um, what are, has consumer behavior or uh, investment in outdoors? Are you seeing changes? To me, it's, it's like, it's really, it's the most interesting thing for me, especially living somewhere where it's winter almost six months a year comparatively <laughs> to where you are. And the weather is just like, you know, it's, it's remarkable. I, I'd love to hear about your, your vantage point on, on the outdoors. Yeah, I feel like um, most of the projects that we work on, we always end up doing some type of outdoor living space, as well as some type of outdoor kitchen and outdoor dining space. Like you said, I feel like we have great weather here 10 months out of the year. Um, and so, you know, we're lucky for that. And, and I feel like, especially now I was thinking about it as well. We've had a lot of clients recently, either projects that we've finished or projects that are close to completion right now. And the clients have come back to me and said, Oh, I think we're going to build an ADU. Oh, I think we're going to, you know, you know, do something else in the backyard. And I think COVID has kind of made people rethink the way that they live and the way that they use their homes. And, um, you know, people are thinking more, you know, basically their whole yard, their whole property is an extension of their home. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, you know, it's nice to have like the big, you know, La Cantina doors, you have a big, you know, window wall and you can open it up and you basically have like an indoor outdoor living space. You know, we've been putting a lot of TVs outside as well, which is mm -hmm. kind of funny. But um, one project that we finished up last year, that was literally the husband's only request for the house that there was an outdoor TV <laughs> his only request. So we're like, okay, we have to make this happen. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, in California and where we are, people definitely have that whole indoor outdoor space, indoor outdoor living, outdoor kitchen. It's all, all part of the project. So in the past, was it, and, and, and this is something that I hear when I speak to designers on a fairly regular basis, that this is a, it's not, it's not like it started a couple of months ago, but it is a, a newer part of the, um, of the project scope for most interior designers, where in the past, for a lot of reasons, one, it seemed like the interior designer's job and role sort of ended at the, at the patio door. And then it was another firm, whether it was a landscape, however it was, to activate the outdoors. And that created disconnect in terms of design, aesthetic, functionality, all of those things. But yeah. you brought up the point before, before I could, which is, which is amazing, that one of the major changes is in glass and nano walls and, and doors that retract. And the, the visual connection between indoor and outdoor has never been as, um, as subtle if you will, as it is today, as a result of this, um, where there's certainly, a, there, for, from a cohesion perspective, there's a real responsibility. The designer can't just say, well, I'm building this gorgeous, you know, 18 foot glass wall, but talk to Joe Schmo landscaper about the outside because <laughs> I don't touch that. Tell me how you have um, fused in outdoor into your, into your designs, into your thoughts, and, and what people are asking for today more than in the past. Yeah, I feel like, oh, go ahead. No, it's, I always, you know, from, from, from us being in the, in the outdoor kitchen, or as we call it, your kitchen outdoors world, one of the things that I call attention to all, all the time is that if you compare the indoor and outdoor kitchen experience, the indoor kitchen would start with a specialty designer or firm who's going to understand the space, functionality, how people cook, how they entertain, colors, lighting, all of those things. And appliance choice is typically second or third on the list. No one ever goes into a specialty kitchen designer and say, I picked a range, now build everything around the range. <laughs> but in outdoor, it's been very much the opposite of that. It's been, I go see my local barbecue shop or specialty retailer it's like okay let's pick a grill and then we'll figure out how we're going to build around it so it's completely different buying psychology and practices and i'd love to hear your thoughts on on that yeah so i feel like it is tricky you know melding that indoor and outdoor i feel like um where sometimes we run into an issue is that the client wants a very seamless look from indoor to outdoor and you know usually homes have wood floor and you know wood floor doesn't necessarily work well in the outdoors so then we kind of have to figure out you know how can we make this seamless transition from you know coming from the inside and, and walking to the outside and and even in you know like the threshold for for the door they want it to almost look like it doesn't exist you know you're just going from one space to the next and and it's all very seamless so i feel like in that respect you know we either have to bring a lot of outdoor materials in 
or -hmm. figure out how to make inside materials work outdoors. Um, And and with the kitchens too, we're actually working on a, a project right now. It's in the very early phases, but this project has, you know, the big, you know, window wall and um, an outdoor kitchen, outdoor living room, and a huge outdoor fireplace. And we're trying to make that all very seamless. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, one of the issues we ran into was trying to find outdoor kitchen cabinetry that was going to hold up outdoors. So I was like so excited. <laughs> when when, uh this opportunity came up to talk to you i was like oh my gosh they make outdoor (laughs) outdoor kitchen cabinets so it was very gratuitous um the the feeling is very mutual you know we i've always believed that an an urban bonfire as a company and brand really started with my and my my business partner stefan we never knew each other until 2013, but he grew up spending a lot of time in, uh, in upstate New York with his family uh, on the weekends. And I was in the Laurentians, which is an hour and a half from Montreal, beautiful mountains and lakes. And my whole experience was outdoors in those times. And I believe today that I acknowledge that an indoor kitchen is a need and an outdoor kitchen is a want. I'm not delusional in, in that in that effect, <laughs> but I also believe that people today will enjoy and use their outdoor space as much or in, even in certain cases more. If you look at real celebration and real quality entertaining time, the outdoor space has never been more important. So I've never understood why design aesthetic, functionality, all those things that you would look for indoors, why those were not available in outdoor material grades until you know depending on how far you look back 10 years ago let's say something like yeah that. you know like I, I say all the time if you look at the traditional outdoor kitchen with that empty hollow frame and you'd never see that in an indoor environment you'd never see a hollow cavity with stainless steel access doors so yeah. part of it for us is and and you know the aesthetic cohesion that you just referred to I believe is the primary reason why people are gravitating towards higher end brands of outdoor cabinetry and not even discussing ours. There's, there's a whole host of incredible products on the market. Yeah. I feel like the, the outdoor countertop industry has, you know, come a long way, but Mm -hmm. I feel like the outdoor cabinetry had a lot, you know, it was lacking. So I feel like you guys are, are filling a need. Well, thank you. We've, uh, we tried. We're, uh, you know, we're certainly, uh, certainly still, still, I still consider us a startup, but we're, uh, it's, it's, it feels, it feels very, very good. Um, it doesn't feel like we make a product. It feels like we make a, a frame or a canvas, which finally allows a designer or a design professional like you and, and your colleagues to add the color and the creativity so you can really you know, put your stamp on it and say, I feel like this is a reflection. Like I had enough, I had enough choice that I can actually not feel like I settled and just bought a product. I could turn this into a project. Yep. What are you seeing customers, whether it's male, female, or collectively, what do you see as some of the growing requests or questions about outdoor space activation? What are new things you're hearing getting asked about learning about i mean there's i feel like in the outdoor space um 
you know, like you said, there's always like, it kind of always starts with the barbecue, it seems like, but now I feel like there's, there's more involved in the, the outdoor kitchen space and it's more almost, um, more like an outdoor entertainment space. Like instead of just the outdoor kitchen, it's also like they want a bar with a refrigerator attached mm -hmm. so that it can be like an outdoor, you know, entertaining space where, you know, the person is cooking and all the friends can be out there hanging out and, you know, having hors d'oeuvres and drinks while, while the cooking is happening. Um, and more like that outdoor living space, like with the big dining table. Um, we've also done um, some lighting, like chandeliers or things hanging in trees, which I think is really interesting because it really brings sort of the indoors out. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of like that juxtaposition, like who would have a chandelier or, you know, pendant lights outside, but we've, we've done that a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also the outdoor living space, I feel like is really big, almost like having a living room out outside of your house with furniture that looks like it should be inside, but it works outside. So I feel like, you know, you know, when you think about it, in mo not in every case, but in most cases, if you look at the, the value of what you get outside for the spend, it's actually one of the lowest cost spaces to activate in a home. You typically, you know, comparatively to what it costs to activate an indoor kitchen per square foot, comparatively to the outdoors, I mean, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Do you find clients are now, again, in, in, in most cases, there seems to be a historic two to three year drag between client finishes the home, everything on the indoors is done, and they're either, it's over time, it's over budget, they're just tired of making decisions and they just want to say, it's an, I need to like take a break. There seems to be a two to three year lag before the outdoor space activation comes up. Are you seeing that change in your world with your clients where people are saying, I want to do this whole thing at once. It's as important. What are you, what are you seeing in, in that? Yeah, we have a project right now that we're wrapping up and the outdoor kitchen was completed at the same time as the home. Okay. So that was all done all at once. Um, but we did have, you know, a few other projects where the, the home itself was completed and then, you know, landscaping and the outdoor elements were a little bit secondary, but I feel like recently it's all been happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a really important part. I mean, it, it really, um, it really benefits the consumer when it happens at once because there is such a, there is such a functional and aesthetic relationship between the indoors and outdoors to do them at the same time makes an awful lot of sense. I, yeah. I completely agree. Um, from your perspective as, as a designer who's extremely close to your customers, do you feel like there are elements of outdoor activation nothing to do with kitchen, just in general, that are missing, that you wish there was this, or this is an ongoing problem or challenge. I wish there was a solution to that. Are there any big gaping holes, as you can see, in outdoor space activation? I don't know. I feel like sometimes it can be tricky, um, you know, landscaping versus you know the interior design i feel like that can always be 
a little tricky because we're not always involved in the landscape plan, but it also has to work well with, with what we're thinking for the outdoors. Right. So it is nice when we get to have a hand in that. Um, because I feel like, like we're saying the whole indoor outdoor really needs to connect. And when it's, you know, when that is in two different hands, I feel like with no communication, I feel like that is really tricky. Um, it can be really difficult. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and everything comes into play, you know, when you look at that inspirational picture of that finished outdoor space, you know, the, every aspect of it, the lighting, the, the greenery, all of those, uh, how people plant levels, elevations that all play such a huge factor into the overall, you know, uh, how the space sort of comes together. Yeah. Um, from your own, from your own sort of passion and, and design perspective, where do you draw I acknowledge the, you know, each time there's a new client to work on new creative designs, new every, that's a lot of creative bandwidth. Where do you, where do you draw inspiration from? I think um, books and magazines kind of going back to, we were talking about having that physical um, and especially European magazines. I feel like things always come out in Europe and the UK before they hit the U.S. So I feel like to kind of get ahead of the curve, I like to look there. Um, but even, I mean, we get, you know, a ton of different magazines every month in the office and I always try to make it a point to look through them, even if it's just a quick flip through just to see kind of, you know, what's out there. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like online, you know, like we were saying Pinterest and house, I don't feel like it's the greatest place to draw inspiration because it's things that have already happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kind of, you know, I don't, I mean, of course, there's always trends and you always your clients are always going to want that that next you know big trend in their home but just to kind of get like a fresh perspective on things kind of look ahead and look somewhere else than than other than what's happening right now in in our area yeah are you seeing a shift in what is important to the client about the home where and again, I, I don't, I, I never presume to understand the, the, the regional or cultural nuances that are different everywhere. And I, having lived in California and spent a lot of time there, I know that, for example, um, the environmental um, stewardship or responsibility probably far more at the forefront than in other places. And that's just, you know, based on, but are you seeing the, what is meaningful to a client um, has changed or is evolving compared to where it might've been 10 years ago, which was bigger, more, more, more. Now it might be, and again, talking to uh, Doug, uh, the architect that uh, we spoke with uh, last week, doing a lot of stuff, modular old shipping container houses, like really cool stuff, but very minimalist, still for a very affluent clientele, but wants cool, small, no impact on the, how are you seeing your, your customer base, if you will, changing, evolving, uh, love to yeah. hear. I, I mean, I still feel like we're building the bigger homes and I think 
I don't really see that changing, especially with COVID, because I feel like now everybody feels like they need their own space within the home. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the last quite a few years, it's been that open concept has been like the popular layout for a home. And now um, I feel like clients are like, I need an office where I can go and close a door or, you know, I need this space where I can go and, and then, you know, people can't come in and bother me. So I feel like that sort of compartmentalized home might be coming back where there's more small spaces and more individual spaces where everybody can sort of have their own area. Um, I feel like we're also doing a lot of home gyms. <laughs> um, so funny you mentioned that, you know, we have one extra bedroom in our home. And when COVID hit, my wife is a, is a yoga uh, instructor and uh, is a partner in four studios here in Montreal. And when COVID hit, obviously these hot yoga studios shut down immediately. Yeah. And the space that was supposed to be my home office or the, when we bought the house, the man cave, as it was presented to me, became her where she started teaching yoga from on doing zoom classes so I, I think you're right you know if we had a big open loft like space that would have been very challenging to accomplish so yeah. you see people now looking to divide up space with more specialization and definition than big open yeah i i think i think it's gonna i mean houses that we've finished um, you know, before COVID, the client was like, oh, I'm so glad we put doors on that one room so I can go in there and close the door because we were talking yeah. about not having a door at one point. So yeah. things like that. Um, and yeah, the, the home gym, I feel like has been a big one. Um, and also like a, a kid hangout space has been kind of a big thing, kind of like a instead of a playroom, like a kid's lounge where like there's couches and a TV and, you know, that, you know, things that will sort of grow with the kids more than just a playroom. Does your um, son does your son play this uh, Fortnite? Does that is that reached no, he, your, uh, your world yet? He doesn't play Fortnite. He's big oh. into um, what's the other one with the little square people. <laughs> Can I not think of it? I don't know. I I, I mean, my son Liam will. Uh, he's he's uh, he's fourteen and a half, almost oh, okay. fifteen, and uh, I mean, it has just been the most incredible thing to watch how you know, this is how him and his friends, they communicate, they're talking, yeah. they're on headphones. It's, it's their, it's their, you know, it's their platform for how they, they communicate with one another. Yeah. My, my son has been on FaceTime a lot with his friends. It's really funny. Like, I, I've never heard my son use the word bro so much. I'm upstairs <laughs> working. I'm like, bro, come on. Hit me. Never heard this before. Oh, it's hilarious. It's just, it's so different from how, we all grew up. It's just, it's so weird. They're all just talking to each other on screens. And there's, I mean, obviously with COVID, that's, you know, kind of the way it has to be right now, but it's just a weird way to grow up as a kid and not have face-to-face -face interaction with your friends. Very well. I, um, I've really, really enjoyed this. I've, uh, I've learned a lot. And if, if I can, um, you know, prior to, to, you know, uh, to this, I spent a nice amount of time on your, on your website and uh, on on your Instagram, and I'd like to just compliment you on on you know the photos, the way you've laid it out. It's just it's so it's done with a lot of beauty, and I think that you have um, done what very few do well, which is it feels light and simple and high impact, but it doesn't feel it just feels your message and your branding is beautifully balanced. And I think you reflect your design aesthetic and, and your personal connection to your projects in a, in a very human way. And I, I really enjoyed 
the research that I did before today. I, I think you've done an absolutely gorgeous job at, at presenting uh, you and your team's uh, designs and what is meaningful to you in, in the way you present them. So I really enjoyed the, uh, the research before, uh, before today. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. That I, means I, a lot. It makes it, it makes it really fun for me because I, I, I learned a lot and um, I, I, I enjoy it very much. Thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. It's great to talk to you. Thanks so much to Michelle Lissack for an amazing episode. I learned a lot. It's a really interesting thing to hear from prominent designers across North America and here specialized in beautiful Northern California on what they are learning and seeing in trends and what their clients are asking for. I learned a lot and I hope you did as well. If you enjoyed today, please, please, please sign up for our podcast and join our YouTube channel. If you love design as we do, please follow us on Instagram. Join our conversation at Urban Bonfire. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you soon.